Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. One of the questions that I've been asked was about freezing embryos. Should we freeze excess embryos? The answer is absolutely. There's been great advances in in freezing embryos in the last decade. Australia had the first frozen embryo success back in 1983, but the success rates for frozen embryos until the last 10 years had been about half that of a fresh transfer. But with our newer technologies, by growing our embryos to blastocysts and then what we call vitrification, where the pregnancy rates with those vitrified embryos are identical to a fresh transfer. There's still some controversy about that statement. There are some people who think it's not quite as good and there are other studies that suggest it might be slightly better. But overall, it seems that frozen rates Uh, are as good as the fresh rates. If you have the opportunity um, to freeze an embryo, then it's a good thing. Now, there are clinics uh, around Australia and internationally as well who only freeze embryos. So they don't have a fresh transfer. The advantages of this are that you don't run the risks uh, of hyperstimulation syndrome. Um, It also means that you can then time the transfer and uh, that for, for many people is very, very useful in terms of organising their days off work and not being uh, at the weekends, which probably is good for the doctors and the nurses. The clinics that do that have very good success rates. Freeze-all clinics are something that is occurring more frequently. Just looked at some recent data from Australia for 2019 and, and the number of frozen transfer cycles, uh, freeze-all cycles, sorry, is increasing quite dramatically as people avoid the risk of hyperstimulation. We also know there's some hormone changes that occur just before the eggs are ready for collection that will tell us that the lining of the womb is not going to be great at the time of embryo transfer. So it's better to to freeze them and carry them through to the next cycle. But if you're able to freeze embryos, go for it. That's for sure. In today's IVF world, it it is a bonus. Prof, we have a question from Nicola. She says, is there any way to tell if follicles contain eggs before retrieval? No. Ultrasound doesn't tell us about the eggs. It can be very disappointing. It doesn't, you know, I would probably say it occurs in 3 to 5% of patients. So on the day of the trigger injection, we say, oh, it looks great. You've got 10 follicles bigger than 16 millimetres. You know, we should get at least six eggs. And then we go to the egg collection and we get three. And we're all disappointed. Mostly it's not that the follicles didn't have eggs in them. It's mainly because those follicles, the eggs in those follicles, haven't gone through the the normal processes to, to set them free into the follicular fluid so that when we put the needle in and suck the fluid out, Uh, the egg doesn't come with it. Uh, They're sort of stuck 
to the side wall of the follicle. We try and flush and dislodge them, but those eggs are not good eggs anyway. Their, their fertilization rates are poor, pregnancy rates are poor if we have to go to that extent. It happens more commonly the older you get. It's something that looks good on scan can be disappointing at the time of the, uh, the egg collection. Can I exercise as usual during fertility treatment? Uh, my general advice is everything in moderation. That's my advice about everything, to be honest. <laughs> that goes along with alcohol, <laughs> coffee. I think we, we overdo things a little bit by saying don't do a thing, don't do anything. In terms of exercise, don't do more than you normally do. And perhaps if you're a, you know, a heavyweight athlete, going to the gym five times a week and doing exercise that gets your pulse rate high, sweaty and whatever, perhaps ease off from that. But don't stop altogether. Carry on, that's for sure. And that, that's the same even when you get pregnant. Prof, question from Didi. Can you advise how we can pick the right fertility specialist? Uh, I mean, I have a very biased opinion on this because I think uh, the best fertility care is provided by a group of doctors, specialists who don't gone through extra training in infertility and endocrinology hormones. And they also have done male infertility and they also understand genetics. The general obstetrician and gynecologist who comes through my hospital and throughout college training program has very little training in infertility because most of it's done in the private sector. They also have almost zero knowledge of male fertility because it's not something that's part of the the curriculum for a general obstetrician and gynecologist. And likewise, uh, on the genetic side of things, uh, the, depth, the depth that's needed these days to interpret things, only people who've been trained in that specifically uh, can be of use. So that qualification is called the Certificate in Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility. It's called CREI. In New South Wales, there are something like 33 of us. In other states, there are less numbers. In Brisbane, for instance, there's only three or four. Melbourne is about 10 or 12. Perth and Adelaide, handful. There's not lots of us, but we certainly have devoted our three extra years of training to be leaders in the field. So I would always suggest seeing whether there's that sort of person in the clinic that you're nearby. There is a website called ANZREI, A-N-Z-S-R-E-I, which tells you where the local CREI is. If you can't find a CREI, then the next step down are the very experienced generalists. And there are many of them. People have been doing IVF for the last 20 years. There are also some uh, overseas specialists or overseas trained specialists who've done the specialist qualifications in their country who are not CREIs but have devoted their lives to doing infertility. So people who are doing 100, 150 cycles plus each year are people that have that experience. So that's one of the first questions to ask. How many cycles a year does, does my specialist do? If he's doing 20 or 50, he's a dabbler. And there are people out there who've got fertility specialists on their websites who really are not that specialised. Uh, they work in, in, they usually work in the big clinics, but they're doing obstetrics, they're doing laparoscopic surgery, they're doing menopause, they're dabbling in infertility as part of it. And they don't understand things when they go wrong. They're, they're fine if everything is straightforward. Um, they follow a recipe book. Um, but if the uh, recipe goes wrong, they don't really know how to deal with the situation and 
that's when you need someone who knows what they're doing. And that's that's the way to find, I think, to find the best specialist. Don't go to the web pages and look up the best fertility doctor. They're mainly driven by how much they've paid Google to be on there. You've got to go beyond that and actually ask some, some questions. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him, michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.